0: Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment.
1: Well, it's that time of the week, Tuesday at 10.07 uh, right now, and here he is, the world famous traveler, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. How are you, my friend? Great.
0: It's beautiful fall day out there, the oh, beach.
1: the next couple of days, oh, they yeah. said in the mid-70s. Yeah,
0: the beach. Piles are getting uh, bigger. Yeah.
1: uh, There's a lot of piles that get bigger, especially when you
0: (laughs) come into this program. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. All right. What's going on? Okay, we're going to talk about transportation in the Old West and one of the main modes of transportation. Are you lost? Not a bit.
1: The, the look on your face said it all. It was the, like, Zeb, help me. The word wasn't coming.
0: The, the squirrel fell off the cage. Oh, my goodness. So the Missouri River. That was a big river. It was. A lot yeah. of transportation. Yeah. I mean, it led the people in canoes and keelboats boats and eventually steamboat men from Mississippi all the way to Fort Benton, Montana, nearly half a mile above sea level and 3,000 miles from the river's mouth. Wow. For generations of explorers and exploiters, the Missouri was kind of the key to the West. It provided access to the fur riches that drew the first frontiersmen into the wilderness, and after the Civil War, it conveyed thousands of prospectors to the Rocky Mountain Gold. But the river was rough. It was rough.
1: What was the schematic? What was the course of the river? Where did you? Actually, I'm going to go through that. I'll, I'll explain. Why how is that it goes every th- time I ask you a question, you always I'm say, "I'm going to get to that." Well, I'm going
0: to get to that. <laughs> I'll get to that. So, you know, here's a stream or a river of flowing mud uh, with dead tree trunks and broken sandbars, and but there were hundreds of uh, steamboats that ran this river, and they might earn a great. Profit on a voyage, or they might lose the entire cost and whatever they had invested in that boat. It was that serious? Yeah, dangerous. Oh, yeah, really. But eventually, technology overtook the rivermen. beginning Beginning in eighteen fifty nine, the railroads began to cross the Missouri, and by eighteen ninety, the last of the boats departed from Fort Benton, and that was kind of the end of of uh, the steamboats.
1: Oh, okay. So, so they actually had steamboats on the Missouri River. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah.
0: But most Americans have been left with the impression that the West was opened almost exclusively by wagon train and the railroads. But uh, if you think about it, a wagon train really can't carry that much cargo. And the railroads, uh, you know... Uh, it was okay, but it didn't reach the West till about the 1880s. Well,
1: and you had destination points that might be five, six, seven, a thousand miles away from where you really
0: needed right. it to be. Exactly. So the Missouri River was for almost a century the most important single means of entrance into the whole wild and empty subcontinent between the mississippi and the pacific so it was a river that men followed you know in search of homesteads and furs and gold and their fortunes and you know they just hear all these great things about the west so the missouri uh was the way to go really but uh missouri was not actually the only stream that served as a road uh, and a channel, and you've probably heard of some of these. There's the Red River, the Des Moines River, the Sacramento.
1: Well, no, the Red River uh, bordering in between Oklahoma and Texas.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and the San Joaquin River, the Columbia. Yeah. But. None of these quite had the size of what we call the Big Muddy, the Missouri. Really? And it was, yeah, and it was really the Big Muddy. Oh. But it was the great water course of the prairies and the longest river on the North American continent. It was a broad but dangerous and changeable river. I mean, uh, it uh, went from the Continental Divide to a uh, junction with the Mississippi, which was about 23 miles north of St. Louis. So wow. uh, all that way, you know, but it led the upstream traveler almost. Okay, here's here's the the map. If you can get this, okay, it led the upstream traveler almost due west across the state of Missouri. Mm-hmm. Then it turned sharply right or north at the Kansas border. Okay. Okay. Then it ran north and kind of northwest for about a thousand miles, dividing Kansas from Missouri. And Nebraska from Iowa. Then it went through the middle of South Dakota and most of North Dakota. And after that, it actually headed off west, uh, kind of roughly parallel with the Canadian border. And that th- not that far, really, from the Canadian border. Uh, and then into Montana. And that's that's kind of the route that it took. What did it join into? Uh well, into the
1: Mississippi. Into the Mississippi, yeah. on the on the east end. Right. But what about on the on well, the
0: west? There, end? it was just a, a series of creeks and streams that came together to form the Missouri.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: I on thought maybe it
1: might coast. have some kind of a confluence that would lead over to the coast or something.
0: No, uh, not to the west. I'll uh, but, be but to the east, yes. Yeah. But uh, you know, the uh, the Missouri Valley cradled uh, some of the most warlike of the American Indians. Oh yeah. So here you've got people going down this river, and you've got the Osage, the Pawnees, the Uricaras, uh band after band of the Sioux, and finally near the Rockies, the Assinibons and the notorious Blackfeet. So they
1: schedule these different rafts or boats to go down the river to, not down the river, actually up the river right. towards the northwest, right? Uh-huh. Yes. And when they put in for night at uh, a landing or something, look out.
0: The, yes, that could be very dangerous. I see. In fact, there's a guy named uh, Jax Marquette. Uh, he was. He says, I have, n- I have seen nothing more frightful referring to the river. He said, a mass of large trees enters with branches interlocked a floating island, we could not, without great danger, expose ourselves to pass across. So this was not just your Snake River or your, you know, an easy river to go up or down.
1: Now, you mentioned earlier you said that it was more dangerous than the Columbia. Uh,
0: no, well, maybe. No, I didn't say that, but... Oh. but well, Col- <laughs> you I thought you did, but, but, uh, but the, the
1: Columbia scares me to death.
0: Oh, yeah, <laughs> that, and that's a huge oh, river. Oh, yeah. But uh, anyway, the river rose twice a year, okay? The first period of high water began in April when the spring rains and the prairie snow melt raised the level of its tributaries, obviously. So the second rise occurred in either May or June when the sun began melting the snow fields of the Rockies. So thousands, and now picture this, thousands and thousands of uprooted trees that had been hung up in the sandbars in low water, now they're released. Now they're coming down the river.
1: And they're coming at these boats.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: So, you know, a river... I shouldn't uh,
1: say boats, rafts. Yeah, it became
0: yeah. charged with floating logs, and thousands more of the trees grew waterlogged and then sank. So now they're not above water, they're below. And so now you've got these boats coming along that might hit a, a, a submerged log and, you know, tear out the bottom. What would you do?
1: You bring up a really good point here. You're floating down the Missouri, and all of a sudden here comes a bunch of 30-foot-tall trees floating <laughs> in the river. You better be a dodger. <laughs> I don't like it. you going I'm, to be an angel. I'm, I'm pulling for the Cubs, not the Dodgers.
0: <laughs> well, in, anyway, also vast areas of the Missouri froze over in the winter. And the first flood, a lot of times, littered itself with these grinding, huge ice flows, which there again, you know, if you're in a boat or whatever, you've got these big chunks of ice floating towards you. Now, wow. they, they also, of course, had to put up with tornadoes and thunderstorms and sandstorms and uh, prairie fires they actually claimed could actually blister the paint on a steamboat if you were too close to the bank. It was that hot. So and then, mm. then clouds and clouds of mosquitoes. Uh, you know, my dad l- was born in Montana, and he talks about you know you could slap a horse's neck, and your hand would be bloody from the mosquitoes.
1: You really paint a good picture of tourism <laughs> going down the Missouri River. It was not the Princess Cruise. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> you
0: know, the Missouri uh, remained kind of a critical route, nevertheless, for travelers going beyond the Mississippi, and not only led to the Rockies, but enclosed. Enormous system of tributaries, and these all watered about a half a million square miles of the Dakotas nebraska montana wyoming Colorado, and it opened land routes to almost every other corner of the west. but the longest and most useful sighted of the tributary trails lay along the Platte and you 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 know about the Platte yeah, yeah. and that was that actually conducted the traveler about three hundred miles west across Nebraska, so the Platte was really another major uh, mode of transportation into into southern Wyoming. So uh, the way west, you know, really began with the Missouri. And before the age of the steamboat, of course, the Indians rode the Missouri in bullboats. Now, the bullboat, you know, is a little craft made out of stretching the hide of a buffalo bull over a framework of willow branches. Now, this is something I found interesting. The buffalo bull was better than the female hide. As far as repelling the water, and really? I I have no idea why. Then you have the Mackinaw boats. Now these were flat boats, about as much as 70 feet long, and they could float tons of cargo downstream. But Mackinaw 70 feet
1: is a pretty good raft. Yeah, or a pretty good boat. Yeah. yeah.
0: But the Mackinaw could not be worked against the current, so an uphill up river voyage was was really
1: how, how much weight could you put on as far as uh, goods and services on a boat like?
0: Well, that? they say tons. Really, in some of those, yeah. So, but really, to get up the river, if you had a canoe or a keel boat. Now, a keel boat also was about seventy feet long, and they were about fifteen to eighteen feet across. And they, you've seen pictures. They have a little, like a little shack on the back, yeah, like a little yeah. house type yeah. thing. And on either side of that, you have a walkway, and the guys uh, will take poles and push and walk. Push and walk. And you better hope your pole's long enough. <laughs> yes. Right. Or don't let it get stuck in the mud. Holy smoke. And then they also had seats for oarsmen, and they had from six to twelve of these guys on oars, and they usually had a brass cannon attached on the front of the keelboat. So, okay. now the keelboat also had a mast that could actually take a sail. And so sometimes they'd actually put up a sail.
1: Now, they didn't have Evinrudes, <laughs> no. so they could turn them on or uh, pull on the cord. But what about those other boats you were talking about, that 70-footer? I mean, was
0: that all manpower? Yeah, or? They, those guys would some, in, in these boats would be on the end of a long rope, and sometimes the water was up to their knees, sometimes their waist, sometimes they were in water up to their necks, pulling on these boats along or so, literally they had people on the shore pulling the boat up river right but they had to have somebody in the water too to keep the the, the boat from coming Sounds ashore. to
1: me like the guys that were on the shore pulling the ropes uh they should have got hazardous <laughs> duty pay
0: <laughs> i would have been the one on the on the boat and come on guys a little harder yeah no but, kidding but the keel boaters believed that steamboats simply would not be able to make it up the Missouri's because of the snags and the sandbars. But the first paddle voyage on the river was by a little steamer called the Independence, and it took a load of flour, sugar, and whiskey, you know, the essentials, yeah. 250 miles uh, in 1819. So that this was,
1: is back in 1819?
0: Yeah. Wow. And after that, there was a lot of these uh, early steamboats that... that Tried to do this, but there was a lot of them that sank or broke down and just never made it.
1: You got to give these people a lot of credit for one simple word guts. Yeah. Wow.
0: You know, but these boats themselves actually they improved gradually and the Missouri pilots, they after they'd done it a few times, they kinda learned the river and they were able to kind of manage the hazards, kinda like the Mississippi. Yeah. You know, they they learned. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durban Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harm. Credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. But the American Fur Company got a little paddle wheel boat all the way to Fort Union, which is in present day North Dakota, in 1832. And company steamers went to the upper Missouri annually every spring after that, clear up there. Um, so You know,
1: and the weather, of course, uh, you couldn't really rely on anything, even as late as June, could no. you?
0: I mean, you know, you hear stories about Cross Wyoming and, and wow. those other places where the wind just tears you to yeah. pieces. Yeah. Um, anyway, in the 1860s, the steamboat became a real force in the economic development and the military occupation of this western country. So and then gold was discovered in Montana and Idaho, and then steamboats churned upstream for these new railheads. Uh, uh, the army uh, had posts in North Dakota, montana uh, Fort Benton was the farthest they could get, and that was a boom town two hundred miles from the Rockies so But these Missouri steamboats were ingeniously conceived; they were shallow hulled. okay they could float in shallow water and could work their way over sandbars, and uh, the paddleboat was uh, a tool, and it was cheaply constructed, uh, propelled by a crude, though powerful, steam engine. Really? And, and what year was that? That was about the 1860s. Really? And uh, so it was kind of a, like I say, it was, had a powerful engine, but it was dangerous. They were kind of flimsy, and but actually after the Civil War, they got better. They started building them more uh, stronger. and so.
1: I'd hate to be on a boat in the middle of that river with a steam engine that you couldn't rely on.
0: <laughs> well, we'll get to that, too.
1: Oh, okay. A little bit. All right.
0: <laughs> but now picture this. You're on this boat. The noise of the engine exhaust is constant. Yeah. I'm just roaring, yeah. uh, accompanied by the ceaseless vibration of the boat because you've got this thing just... It's not a smooth ride, mm. okay? And then you got the smell of the smoke and the engine oil you got cabin passengers that were sleeping on corn husk mattresses. Oh, what a fun trip. <laughs> yeah. But some boats provided deck passengers with barrels of river water for drinking and washing. Uh-huh. But there were other vessels that simply had offered the thirsty person a bucket tied to the end of a long rope. I see. <laughs> so you throw your bucket in, and you better have a pretty good grip, or you may may be in the river. Yeah. Okay. Now, it was seldom possible to go far on the Missouri without enduring some pretty bad delays. Every steamer carried two huge poles. Okay, now I'm going to try to exp- explain how this works. Okay, the vessel gets stuck on a sandbar. Gotcha. Okay. Now, this pro- process is called uh, grasshopping grasshoppering or sparring. So what they would do is they would... Put these poles down into the bottom of the sandbar, yeah, and then they would hook it up to the uh, steam engine capstan, and they would actually kind of lift the boat up off the sandbar with
1: the use of the steam engine.
0: Yeah, with they had a capstan, which is just turns, I guess. Yeah, huh? You know. So, now How if, high, how yeah. hard, how fast, I mean. Well, sometimes it took a lot to get them off that sandbar. Wow. I mean, because they're, they're stuck. Yeah. Now, if sparring or grasshoppering failed to conquer a bar at first, the captain might put part of the cargo ashore to lighten the boat, then reload once he was past the, the sandbar. And vessels that attempted to negotiate the upper reaches of the river in low water sometimes resorted to a, a method they called double tripping. Okay. They unloaded half the cargo at some point that I'm going to get to right here. As soon as you find the right page. <laughs> they'd unload half of it along the shore, and then they'd go back and get the other half. Really? Because they had lightened the load enough yeah. to get over the sandbar.
1: Now, what kind of distance were they talking about? Maybe what, half
0: mile? I guess just enough to think they're past the sandbar. I see. Okay, now, now when you refer to the the Columbia, yeah. what about rapids? Ooh. Okay. Now, here, what they would do is they would plant a dead man, which is bearing a big piece of timber in a ditch on shore. They would fasten the cable to it and force the boat to inch ahead by winding with this capstan again. Some type of, and I should have, I should have got a picture of that, but it turns yeah. and it pulls the boat up through the rapids,
1: kind of like a pulley system.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but uh, roping could be dangerous uh, because. Uh, not as dangerous as a boiler explosion, which usually destroyed the whole boat. Yeah. Fires, steamboats steam went up like bonfires once they ignited. I mean, they're all made out of wood. Why didn't they just get a bucket of water? <laughs> yeah, well, who's <laughs> going to do that? Or the snags, which were hidden that could tear the bottom out. Now, in the course of coming up the rapid, if the cable snapped while a boat was struggling up the rapids, she'd be swept away into the rocks below, and that was gone. Wow. Now, the pilots and the captains occasionally took their wives to the Rockies during the Montana Gold Rush and the late 1860s. And the wives and children of many of the settlers rode the Missouri steamers as a matter of necessity. Uh, And actually, it says that these pioneer women were really treated like ladies. They were uh, well taken care of. Now, I know we've got a few minutes here, but I'm going to tell you about a steamboat duel. A duel? Race. You mean, oh, a race? Yes. Okay. Okay. So almost as soon as steamboats invaded the Big Muddy, they began to engage in races, partly because fast boats won the lucrative freight contracts, and also because Missouri pilots were, you could say, kind of a hot-blooded breed who could not bear to find themselves behind another boat. So usually the contest was brief and friendly. However, this one is not. Uh, And it usually ended after a few miles. And at times, however, a race became a no-holds-barred, struggling, imperiling the steamboats and the passengers. In fact, one traveler who experienced such an all-out duel and never forgot it to his day, a guy named Samuel Hauser, he was 29 years old, Prospector, held in, uh, heading for Montana, and he was destined to become actually an enormously wealthy rancher, banker, all this, uh, and first governor of in Montana. But anyway, the race that he was on, launched a boat called the Sam Hauser, or not launched him, into Montana, took place in the Upper Missouri in 1862, and there were two steamboats, the Amelia and the Spread Eagle. Okay, they cast off from their moorings near Fort. Berthold in North Dakota, and in his account, Hauser, who was aboard the Amelia, noted that uh, the passions for a showdown between the two boats had been building. Spread Eagle had departed St. Louis and four days ahead of Amelia, but the trailing boat had poured on the steam all the way upriver and had finally caught up the night before. So now, got shouts of okay shouts of challenge and they're saying okay we can beat you and they uh, start yelling across the river at each other and uh, pretty soon one pulls ahead and they yell at the other one just like you normally would well there came a point where uh, I'm trying to find the good part <laughs> hurry 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 <laughs> uh, okay they actually one of the boats rammed the other one Wow and was caught in the boat in the side of this other boat and then the one pilot pulled out a pistol and it was going to shoot the other pilot but some of the crew grabbed him didn't let him shoot the other pilot anyway the race continued and you know, one beat the other finally and
1: <laughs> you've got some wild river tales oh yeah there. well hey, what is that called right there oh the river men the okay. river men there yes. you go yeah doctor history as always I hate to rush you but you're no late no problem <laughs> And
0: thank you for being here. What are we going to talk about next week? I don't know. I might continue with stuff yeah. on the river. River. What about the Snake River? Actually, I I, I went into a used bookstore and I found a great book book about the Snake River. Oh, good.
1: Let's talk about so that. We made okay. Do that. Don't forget Doctor History every Tuesday at ten oh seven right here on Zebeth Ranch.